Hello, and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim, and I'm uh, I'm solo today. Uh, that's what I want to talk to you about. Teal and I have been doing this program mostly on, a little bit off, uh, for over five years now. And uh, it's not always easy to find time to get on the mic and uh, see movies probably uh, harder, especially where I don't have a movie theater anywhere near me. And uh, Teal, you know, he's pretty busy himself. Um, but, uh, you know, lately, Teal's had a lot going on in his life. He's been uh, very tied up with things. And uh, right now, his father isn't well. And he's uh, taking some time to uh, be with him. Uh, Teal doesn't live near his father. So he's gone for somewhat of an extended visit. And I'm not sure when he is going to be back from that. And, you know, just in general, I think it's just getting harder and harder to commit to seeing movies uh, in a timely fashion and to talk about them. Um, So, you know, I'm not saying that this is the end uh, because I'm going to keep all of the stuff going and you never know. Uh, But, you know, for all intents and purposes, this could be the final episode of Stuff We've Seen. Um, You know, we've had a lot of fun uh, over the years, and we've gotten a chance to speak to some fun guests here and there, Um, and I really appreciate that, and uh, especially a big shout-out to Craig Wasson, who is a fine actor, and he's become a friend of the show and a personal friend, and he also has uh, graciously uh, donated track of music that we use at the beginning and end of our shows most of the times. Um, so, you know, he's been terrific. I uh, really enjoyed when we had him on for a couple of episodes. And also uh, our good friend, Bill from Queens. Uh, sometimes I feel like we were doing the show just for you, Bill, um, because uh, you're such a fan and appreciative. You're always giving good feedback, etc. Um, and some other good friends like Al Frazier, um, Tony Gutierrez, uh, lots of people um, that we could thank for all of their support um, over the past five years. So thanks to everybody um, who's listened, people that we never even uh, met uh, or knew that you were listening. I mean, we could see the numbers, so we know that some of you are out there. And we've really appreciated that too. makes us feel good that uh, we're not talking to just each other, that we're actually uh, talking about movies to uh, fans of the show out there. So anyways, uh, what I wanted to do sort of for one last hoorah is we really can't put 2023 to bed without talking about what we thought was the best films of the year. Now, I know that Teal has seen, you know, a good chunk of movies, but I don't think he got a chance to see all of the films that he would have liked to have seen in order to put together a valid top 10 list. I was probably a little bit more successful in getting out there seen the films. I've seen every film that was nominated for Best Picture and Director by the Academy. Uh, So if I don't mention those uh, films or some of those films, don't think it's because I didn't see them. Oh, I did. That is sort of the preface to start this episode, um, and we're going to jump right into it. It's going to be probably a quick episode today because I'm really just going to go over my top 10. Um, And coming in at number 10 is a film that... I guess it's technically a 2022 film, but it wasn't released in the United States till 2023. And that is a Icelandic film uh, called Godland, directed by Halnar Palmason. 
and brilliantly shot by Maria von Hauswolf. Uh, this film uh, you can find on Criterion. Uh, it's been showing on the channel. And it is just an amazing, amazing looking film. Um, it's not a lot happening in the movie as far as uh, plot. And it's really more of a visual feast. It features a sort of man on a trek. Uh, he is sent to Iceland to set up a church in a very remote part of Iceland. Uh, kind of like, I guess, at the turn of the century, maybe the late 1800s. And half of the film is this epic, him trying to uh, get to this tough terrain and maybe not using the best of sense of sort of man versus nature um, in order to complete his mission. And he kind of puts caution to the wind and, um, you know, people are hurt on the journey. And then he gets there and I feel like he he finds himself disillusioned and he just cannot make peace with himself and this world that he's in and this God that he worships. I don't really want to get into too many more details than that, but I, I found every step of this movie pretty amazing. And again, some of the greatest cinematography you're going to see. It's shot with a very low ASA uh, film stock, and so the colors are very piercing, and there's just some amazing visuals. Uh, the camera doesn't move a lot. It really lets the visuals speak for themselves. Uh, so this is just a tremendous movie to, to really just take in and enjoy. Um, and I was just pretty astounded by it. So that is my number 10 film for the year. Uh, number nine. Coming at number nine is Dream Scenario, written and directed by Christopher Borgley. And Nicolas Cage, in this case, is a mild-mannered professor named Paul Matthews who starts showing up in people's dreams. Uh, typically, he's just an observer in the dreams, and he won't help or assist the person in the dream when they need help. Uh, and he becomes famous for this. Uh, random people start recognizing him. And he starts to garner sort of the social media attention that he doesn't want. Uh, and eventually, his dream character turns evil um, in people's dreams. And now people are frightened of him. <laughs> they don't want nothing to do with him. And here's a guy who's done absolutely nothing uh, to these people. But we see how social media takes somebody out of obscurity makes them famous, uh, and then turns on them. Uh, so I, I think this is an interesting riff on the fleeting nature of pop culture in the uh, social media world today. It's very darkly comic. Uh, it's a little absurd. And I just loved every minute of this movie. And uh, I think that's something that people who like kind of odd duck films should definitely check out. Uh, number eight on my list is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Um, it features a gigantic cast of Anderson regulars and with some new additions. Uh, Tom Hanks makes his first appearance in a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, Leah Schreiber and Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, Maya, Maya Hawk, Steve Carell. These are all people that are joining uh 
Wes Anderson for the first time, also Margot Robbie, um, but then you also have regulars like Tilda Swinton, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, people might be like, I don't remember Scarlett Johansson being in a Wes Anderson movie. She was a voice in Isle of Dogs, um, shot by his regular cameraman, Robert Yeoman, and it's uh, great cinematography. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a deeper uh, meditative territory for Wes Anderson. And what surprised me was when the movie came out in June, uh, critics really loved it. And some, you know, stayed true to that with their top 10 films. But I feel like at the beginning of the summer, I thought that it would definitely, we'd be seeing it in uh, come Oscar time, maybe in like screenplay and possibly maybe even best picture, depending on how the year end shaped up. But it was really not part of the conversation this year when it came time for awards. But it's a great movie, uh, super soundtrack, and I really enjoyed this one. Number seven is a film that caught me uh, completely off guard at how great it is. And it's a film that I saw. It's one of the last films I saw to make this list. I wasn't seeing it because I thought it was going to make this list, but it definitely knocked uh, one of my um, bubble films right off because it was so great. And that is director Takashi Yamasaki's Godzilla Minus One. And I am uh, putting number seven as Godzilla Minus One Minus Color. So Godzilla came out, I guess, maybe either late November, early December. Um, I certainly wanted to see it, heard it was good, but I just couldn't get to the theater to see that. I had other things to see. And then I heard that it was being re-released with a special chrome black and white edition. So my wife and my youngest, we went and saw the film, and I think my jaw was open the entire time. I, I was shocked at just how great this movie was, from the visual effects to the capturing, um, with, with state-of-the-art today effects, the original look of the first Godzilla, and telling a story right at the end of World War II. And then what brings this film to a whole uh, another level is that it's really dealing with the Japanese people um, and the post-war effects of just you know what they went through and that healing process that hadn't even begun, and now they have a different kind of monster that they have to uh, deal with. But while they lost the war in World War II, this monster gives everyone a mission as almost a way for them to find victories both as a nation, but also personal victories that they could not find during the war. Um, I mean, it's just an emotional film. They You make great use of the original Godzilla music, which kind of just sends chills down your spine when you hear it. But several times while this movie was going on, I'm looking at my wife and we're just like, can you believe how great this movie is? Um, so I definitely feel like just because it's a Godzilla movie, that doesn't mean it can't make a top 10 of your, of your favorite films of the year. And it certainly, to me, was a lot better than other films that have made people's uh, best picture lists. So that is number seven. Number six 
is director, writer, Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. Um, And it's strange. I put this at number six on my list, but I wouldn't be surprised if over the years it doesn't get reevaluated. And when I come to kind of create my best of the decade, this doesn't find itself on there. Um, It's not an it's not an easy film, I would say, to watch um, and certainly not to enjoy. It's a little bit more of one of these uh, artsy BFI <laughs> 250 films. And it's really an interesting experiment on how can you try to get into the mindset of monsters, the these uh, Nazis, uh, and in this case this Nazi uh, commandant of Auschwitz, uh, Rudolf Haas, and his wife Hedwig. And the way that Glazer decides that he's going to tackle this is to kind of do like a close-circuit television effect on this family, like view them from afar and just see how they behave. Because I think that is something that we think of when it comes to the Holocaust and Nazis is that how could you go about your daily life while, A, all of this was going on, um, but to take it a further step, what Glazer is doing is he's looking at a man who is an architect of death. He is somebody that is an efficiency expert, if you will, and he is trying to think of new ways to exterminate in this camp. There are some other things that Glazer does that are fascinating in this movie. There are some nighttime sequences and how he chooses to film those. I've never seen in a movie before. And so, you know, the the entire film, it leaves you with a lot to think about. You're thinking about a lot of things in the movie while it's happening, and then a lot afterwards you have to process. Um, And then another thing that he makes uh, great use of, which you may have heard if you've heard anything about this movie, is the sound design. The sound design of the movie is just flat out incredible. Uh, It was one of the reasons why I really wanted to see this in the theater so I could experience the sounds. And you have to really hear the different things that are going on around this household, which is built right uh, next to the camp. And so while you can't see the atrocities happening in the camp, you hear things. Your mind has to fill in the blanks. You have to imagine that these characters hear these things and have to block them out or think about them. Uh, So again, probably out of all the movies from 2023, this is the movie that really makes you, I think, uh, think the most. Number five is uh, Justine Triet's film Anatomy of a Fall. It's definitely it's uh, one of the films that got nominated this year, uh, Best Director and Best Picture, and also uh, nominated for its star, Sandra Huller. And she plays Hedwig Haas, by the way, in The Zone of Interest. Uh, she's simply incredible in this movie, Anatomy of Fall. And, you know, without getting into too many details about the movie. I mean, we talked about it briefly on the show. Teal hadn't seen it, so I couldn't really spill the beans too much. But there is a tragedy um, in a family, and a wife stands accused of potentially murdering her husband, who has fallen 
from his window in his studio above in their house um, and the French authorities are suspicious of her. She's a German living in France. Her husband is French and the movie takes you really inside this uh, French judicial system and it's a quite fascinating movie. It reminded me of the Iranian film A Separation also a little bit about uh, the other Iranian movie, Close Up, where we just get a fascinating look at the Iranian legal system. Um, the movie is very, very suspenseful. It's like two and a half hours, and most of the time I was on the edge of my seat. So it, it's really a great film. Highly recommend it. I don't think too many people could see it and not like it. Um, so that was my number five. Now, number four. Uh, this is a surprise uh, because rarely do I find uh, two films from the same director getting into the top 10. But this is a film that had planted itself securely in my top 10 months ago when I saw it. It's another film that's technically from 2022, but it wasn't released here in the United States till 2023, so I put it on my 2023 list. It is Sick of Myself, which is written and directed by Christopher uh, Borgley, who did Dream Scenario. And this movie is another brilliant satire on people's obsession with becoming social media celebrities. Um, and this one woman's desire to become famous so far that she would go and poison herself to create a mysterious illness to gain notice and sympathy and eventually fame. Fame is more important than her own health. Uh, the movie is super dark, super funny, and it's just kind of an insane satire. And what I really like is there is a director out there who's looking at this out of control world of social media that's gone on and how it really messes with people's lives. And this idea that unless you're some kind of social media star, that you're a nobody. Um, so that's a film that I really, really like. And it is my number four. Number three, uh, The Holdovers by Alexander Payne. And this is a film that we've talked about on the show. I really loved it. I like Alexander Payne's style. Um, we hear that a lot of times his films feel like they're like from the 70s. And this film is set in 1970. And even, uh, even though it's shot digitally, they made some great pains to kind of give it a filmic look. Um, but there's just a, it's a very hard to describe the style, but Hal Ashby was a big director in the 1970s, did some seminal movies from Harold and Maude, Shampoo, The Last Detail, Bound for Glory, Being There. I mean, these are just big films, Coming Home. Uh, so throughout the 70s, this is a guy, and he was sort of famous for kind of, they said he had no style, but it was a style. <laughs> um, and Alexander Payne kind of has that same thing. He, he's really no nonsense. He wants to tell a story. He wants to let the performers um, do their thing. And it's just kind of sometimes quiet, uh, just well put together, well thought out. And I kind of wish that more filmmakers would kind of take their cues Um from a film like The Holdovers. Uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, he's great as the curmudgeon uh, teacher, Paul Hunnam, and uh, newcomer Dominic Sessa. 
plays this guy, Angus Tully. He's great. And then, of course, Divine uh, Joy Randolph uh, is the cook at the school, Mary Lamb. And these three characters, we kind of follow their journey. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph is uh, fantastic in the movie. Definitely, I don't think anybody's going to beat her for the Oscar this year for supporting actress. And I'm, I'm hoping that Paul Giamatti uh, makes it over the finish line and, and wins Best Actor because he's great. Um, and of course, being from Massachusetts, it was fun to see the whole film there's no sets involved. It's all you know practical locations. So they picked a lot of places in Massachusetts to use for uh, locations, and I knew a lot of those places, so that was cool. Um, so that came in at number three for me. Number two, um, and this for a long time was going to be the number one film on my list. I'm surprised anything was able to knock it off, but. It's a movie that's not on a lot of people's top 10 lists, for sure. And I think that over the years, it's just going to become more appreciated uh, for the cult genius that it is, is Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. Joaquin Phoenix gave, for me, the best uh, acting performance of the year uh, from an actor. And he plays Bo uh, Wasserman. Uh, which, you know, is the water man. Uh, Water plays a huge role in this film. Uh, He's kind of drowning in a sea of anxiety. He's drowning under the weight of an overbearing mother. Uh, It's it's quite honestly, it's the single most daring and ambitious film of the year. Uh, The entire movie is like a fever dream. doesn't really have a linear narrative. Um, It kind of puts you in the dream state. And there's a ton going on. Um, I don't know if it'll work for everybody. And I can't recommend it to everybody because <laughs> it's like almost three hours and it's totally nuts. Uh, but I I love the movie. It gave me so much to think about. Uh, my wife and I, we, we talked for hours about this movie over the coming days after we saw it. Um, so it stayed with me. Um, I definitely will revisit again over the years. And so that is my number two for 2023. And then uh, lastly, number one film, 2023 for me, is director Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things. Emma Stone, she gives the best overall performance of 2023. Uh, Great support from Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, Christopher Abbott, Gerard Carmichael. Emma Stone's Bella Baxter is really one of the most unforgettable characters I've seen in a long time. Uh, There's some brilliant cinematography from Robbie Ryan. The movie is a just comic treat. Uh, It's definitely out there. Uh, Weird fantasy. I loved every minute of the movie. Um, There is, as you may have heard, a lot of sex in the film, but I feel like it has a purpose and a need. And it shows a lot of bravery from Emma Stone. She recognizes that it's not just trying to be showy or whatever, that this is what this character and the performance is all about. Um, And so I guess, you know, she sacrifices for her art. Uh, This movie dazzled me. Um, I'm hoping someday I get to see it in the theater projected on 35 millimeter the way it should be. I did see it in the theater, but I saw it obviously uh, digitally. I do know there's a print running around right now. It's in Chicago uh, of it in 35. So that's something that you definitely would love to go and see it because the artistry at hand is, is so fantastic. Now, 
I know it got nominated, and deservedly so, for a bunch of Oscars. Probably isn't going to win much. Maybe Emma Stone. Uh, I know she's going to have fierce competition from Lily Gladstone um, from the Killers of the Flower Moon, but she might win. But this is just the kind of film that, for everybody like myself that loves it, there's probably some others that think it's fine, but it's just not their thing. Um, you know, so everybody has their own preferences, and that's what this is about, is me telling you what I personally thought was the best. Uh, there's a couple of films here that were on the bubble. So before certain movies got in there, uh, there were three films that were always kind of close. And one of those was the comedy bottoms that Teal and I both loved. I just thought that really was a superb comedy Definitely one of the best comedies of the year. Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. I'm not sure if Teal and I ever talked about it. Uh, and I'm going to guess that if Teal was to have a top 10, Infinity Pool would be on it. It's right up his alley. I know he really liked the movie a lot. Um, it was. It's a really out there film. I guess I'm kind of one of those people that like these out there movies. Uh, so that was very close to making my top 10. And then the film that got knocked out at the very end, um, it was number 10, until uh, Godzilla came in and, and busted its way onto my top 10 list was Mark Jenkins' Ennis Men. And that's another one of those weird, weird cult-type movies. But uh, I guess ever since I was a big moviegoer in the 80s, I always searched out the weird, uh, sometimes undescribable movies. And so Ennis Men, which I would also wager is probably on Heel's top 10 list. Um, so no Barbie, uh, sorry kids, and uh, no Oppenheimer and no Killers of the Flower Moon on my list. Uh, all good movies, movies I enjoyed, but I just didn't think they were as great as others did. You know, these are the 10 movies that I personally thought were the best for uh, 2023. So anyways, that's it. I mean, I don't have a ton that I'm going to say today. Um, I know this is one of the shorter ones, and I know it's a kind of a strange note that we may be saying goodbye. Um, like I said, I, I have some updates and things that might come up uh, over the months. And, and if I have something, uh, we'll, we'll you know certainly drop in uh, and give you an episode. But I do think that now is a good time to kind of wrap up the show. Um, you know, again, maybe at some point Teal will find that he's got more space to see films, etc., and he'll want to do it. And I think that we keep that potential open. Um, but I also don't want uh, people expecting in the next couple of weeks another episode because that's probably <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but I, again, I can't thank you all enough for uh, tuning in all of these years. It's been uh, enjoyable. I mean, we've had so much fun on this program uh, and laughing is, is good and just having conversations about movies is, is fun. Uh, I certainly know that we have more we could give you. Um, there's always more to talk about, but I think that this journey is going to come to a close. So until such time, when I get back on the mic, uh, maybe on the mic with Teal, I... Uh, Thank you all for your support. And I say, as we always say, go see some stuff. Thank you. Mm -hmm.